eerste ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, uw attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. And so it came to pass that the three horsemen, heralds of woe, surveyed a landscape of digital destruction, haunted by the ghosts of websites past. And it was in this place that the first horseman turned to the second and said, What are you wearing on your head, Jen? Well, howdy, partner. It's my hat. Why are are you talking like that? Because I'm on my horse and I'm a horseman, see? What's wrong with you? You're supposed to be a herald of woe. Calamity Jenna is not a cowgirl. Calamity Jenna is a horseman of the apocalypse. And, and, Dan, where's your horse? I've known you guys for a long time, and I can confirm with some certainty that there is something wrong with both of you. Seriously, look, we're supposed to be heralds of woe. We're supposed to be the horsemen of the apocalypse, bringing in the end of the website. Why can't you guys just play along and just follow instructions? Um, you guys are idiots. Honestly. All right, you know what? I am wasted on you guys. I'm just going to leave now, take my horse, and go where we're appreciated. Come on, Binky. Welcome to Inside the Funnel, where today we are discussing the websiteless future with my colleagues Dan Tamby and... Apparently, Kathleen Turner has taken time off from Romancing the Stone to join us today. Jenna, Hello, what's happened gentlemen. with your voice? What, what, well, what's going on? I've gone and gotten myself a case of the Rona, like pretty much everybody else on Earth has. So uh, I'm going to try my best to talk and breathe simultaneously. So let's do this. Man, you totally, you do sound like a different human altogether. <clears throat> yeah, see, I'm a guest star. Nobody even, you got me for free today on the podcast. <laughs> well, Jenna, hopefully you're feeling better and that you're on the mend now. Thank you for joining us. Um, I feel a little guilty in having you here today. Shouldn't shouldn't you be taking some time off? Um, I am. I am resting and taking care of myself. But how could I miss the most fun I ever have every month? So here I am. I don't know if that says something good about us or something terrible <laughs> about you. A little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> I would say you need to get out more, but look what that happened. You did that. And look what <laughs> yeah, happened. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're here to talk about the websiteless future, and and I think this is a big this is a big theory about where the internet as a whole is going to go in the next few years. Jenna, why why don't we get you started a little bit early and and uh, get as much out of you as we can today? So, <laughs> what what is this theory about the websiteless future? Mm-hmm. So this came around, this really started to pop when voice, remember when everybody was all worked up about voice and it, voice was the big new thing and it was going to be how everybody searched and 50% of all searches are done by voice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's when it really kind of came into the conversation. But there are also things like Google Glass and all the various iterations of Alexa, the ones with screens, the ones without screens, the, you know, Siri taking over as people could see it. So basically, 
The thinking is, with all of these other ways to get information, voice, augmented reality, you know, um, apps, not even websites per se, social media, there's a theory that sometime in the near-ish future, we're not actually going to need websites anymore to get the information we're looking for. So you mentioned a few leading indicators and, and technology platforms that are indicative of that happening. Uh, what else, Dan? What, what other evidence do we have that this is actually happening? <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I mean, the service-oriented architecture, SOA, has been a thing that's been around for a long time as um, the, the, the technology landscape that powers the internet, you know, started to rely more and more on APIs and web services to support information from one point to another. Um, as we look at the CMS content management system landscape lately, uh, certainly over the last few years, the concept of headless CMSs or, you know, uh, API driven CMS platforms has really taken off. Uh, and essentially what that means is if you can, if you can picture a a CMS system where you would, you know, strike up some administrative URL and you would get into some interface on WordPress where you could start to edit content. And uh, basically the head of the CMS or the thing that you, that uh, delivers the content and the, the place that stores the content is one unit. And now in the, this headless world, those two things have been kind of abstracted from one another. So now we have the database and where all the content is stored but then where the content is consumed and, and, and uh, presented to the users, that can be a completely separate system. And that's giving rise to the ability to have um, a single source of a piece of information or a piece of content and have that shipped off and distributed and consumed through a variety of different channels uh, from one spot. It's sort of like an asset manager, but for everything, not just for assets. So let me let me maybe say that a little bit in English. So I don't think that a lot of people would would understand when people talk about things being abstracted from each other. Right. But the idea being that previously in a CMS, you go into the interface, you type in your content, and it publishes on a website. Tomorrow, and with a headless CMS, the idea is you go into the same CMS, you you um, add in your content and you can choose where it gets published on the internet. So it could be published directly into Facebook. It could be published into Instagram. It could be published into, you know, uh, uh, Google directly right. or, or whatever. So rather than right? a push, maybe I would correct you and say rather than in the CMS, you would prepare and and tag and uh, and publish content. And then depending on your digital ecosystem and what you've wired up to pull from that repository, it would then find its way and become propagated there. That's that's more accurate, I think. But you're on the right track. Um, and then you find, I think what you find really popular is this concept of hybrid systems. So it's a traditional CMS that you can use because it's super convenient. As a, you know, as a web development leader, I, you know, having a single platform where I can build, I don't have to worry about building database models, but I can just build content models. Then I can build templates and I can pipe data into those templates all in one spot. It's super convenient, but also allow that content to be available through some API call from a trusted third-party thing. Next thing, I can push an article out to a mobile app, or I could push it to the screen on a gas pump at a gas station or to some kiosk inside a retail establishment. So now we've got this idea of syndicating information uh, through the, a normal website experience for now through the hybrid model. And then maybe down the line, 
to a much more decentralized uh, and distributed uh, ecosystem of, of endpoints, whatever they happen to be. And these endpoints can be any screen that um, <clears throat> that can can propagate with digital content, mm-hmm. or it could be even screenless environments, right, into voice search applications or, or what have you. Absolutely, and I, you know, you're to Jenna's point, we're seeing that more and more. You know, when you wire up a skill in Alexa, basically that's just a very simple API call that is pulling data from you know, in a, in a very simplified way for, from some service that it can get its hands on. And that could absolutely be delivered by a, a headless CMS. Your FAQ library that sits on your website could be positioned as a repository for a voice skill in Alexa to serve up those answers. And it has nothing to do with your website at all. So who has an interest in this happening? Um, if we think about the propagation of content across the internet and and the deprecation of a need for a website itself to do all of the interactions uh, with consumers. Uh, Jenna, why don't you pick that up? You know, the longer we do this podcast, I think to myself, how is it possible that I am leading a media team? <laughs> because I'm about to rail on our good friend Google, <laughs> just like I do almost every episode. <clears throat> so, Google most certainly has an interest in this happening. And why that is, is already something that if you're paying any attention whatsoever, you'll see that they've already taken away the click in as many instances as they possibly can. So with the knowledge panel, with maps information, with position zero or structured snippet as it were, right? Giving that information to a user right there on the page of Google and having to never leave google.com to go to the website has been their MO for a little mm-hmm. while here. So, you know, the the more, well, it's not philosophical, but the philosophical question is why, though? Like, why, what good does it do Google to keep them on Google.com? And that's a question I honestly haven't really quite come to a satisfactory answer with for myself, um, except that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that there must be a financial undercurrent to all of this, that the more you are on Google, the more impressions there are there that, that can get sure. monetized and, and that kind of thing, right? Yeah, sure. I guess I so. mean, but there's also I mean, a, a speed and user experience. If we take Google at their word about, you know, decisions made for the benefit of the user, um, you know, the push on AMP, uh, the ability to give an answer uh-huh. to an easy question, why Why add another click? Why wait for the round trip of the DNS resolution and some server in the back corner of someone's room to spark up and deliver a web page when you could just give the answer right there and shortcut that experience? So, that, you know, if we if we can believe for a minute that that is a true sort of altruistic uh, uh, uh-huh. mandate that they have, then there you, uh-huh. could, you could make that argument as well, right? Yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've come around to Nasser's argument already <laughs> sure. in 1.3 seconds. <laughs> so, so are there any benefits for brands in this type of future where all the properties that they publish to are rented rather than owned? Because on the surface, I, I don't see, you know, it's not an obvious benefit um, in the way that, you know, making the argument that your your owned experiences versus a rented experience, and then you're completely at the um, 
at the mercy of Facebook or Google or Instagram making these arbitrary decisions, Amazon, um, where even they set themselves up as your competitor, um, offering similar or, or the same products or services for less. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts there maybe, Jenna? Well, that's an interesting question. As a, as a person with a website, I actually do think there would be some benefits to that if I were a brand, say. And the benefit of that is you still get to control what goes out, right? So you are still the one creating the content. You're still the one that's getting the information together that will be propagated out there. So the benefit is that propagation. You no longer have to sit around and wait for people to come. Your information can go get propagated across all the places it might be needed. So I think, you know, we definitely see that uh, we see that in some of the advertising options that Google's bringing to bear, where you just kind of feed it data points, um, and it will spin up the right ad for the right user on the right property based on all of their signals. This is just like that same thing on steroids, hmm. right? You're creating all of the puzzle pieces that are brand approved, that are exactly the information you want out there. And so you have the ability now to get that information out there further. That's the benefit. That's about the only one I can think of. <laughs> to build on that, what about this concept of, you know, the, the platform economy? As a brand, if I'm not a massive multinational brand or a Fortune 500 uh-huh. with bottomless resources, but I'm a small business, this, the platforms add features and functionality and reach and capability to my online presence far greater and in a far more sophisticated way than I could do independently. Look at what GMB, Google My Business, has just done with their whole messaging platform. Now, you know, not only can you find your location and you can see how busy I may or may not be and possibly book a table, but now you can interact directly with me right through that that Google My Business listing um, and, you know, support tickets and customer service and communication all of that stuff is supported, and I don't have to really invest in infrastructure or maintain a new module of uh, or a feature or a widget on my website, mm-hmm. which is what you would have had to do only a couple of years ago. So I think that platform platformification, maybe is that a word? It is now? Can I just make up a word? Let's call <laughs> T- that a word. TM um, circle R. That, <laughs> platformification <laughs> of uh, uh, of this sort of digital business space is really. Uh, pushing brands to say, hey, you know what, I, I don't mind giving up the responsibility of that stuff because the the, the juice is worth the squeeze kind of thing. Um, yeah, but it, but but there's, again, I, I go back to, um, and we've seen this, we've seen this story before. Think about in Facebook, mm-hmm. you used to have the ability to reach uh, millions of new uh-huh. audiences and views organically and then one day facebook arbitrarily said yeah no you you don't get to do that anymore Mm -hmm. now you've got to pay for every single one of those that's that's effectively what a drug dealer does isn't it they give you a little bit right (laughs) they they give you just enough to get you hooked onto (laughs) onto all of that free traffic um and and businesses Mm -hmm. were built Mm -hmm. around those models and then they said okay now we're going to cut off the supply and you've got to pay for every single um every single visit in an ever escalating auction environment. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. there's 
multiple moments in history that prove that that's a viable business model. So they're doing it and people are subscribing to it. And um, again, it's still, the juice is still worth the squeeze in those right. contexts. And if it weren't, you know, the, the open economy, the, the economics of all the macroeconomic factors and influences of this will dictate what is acceptable and what isn't. And if it can be paid for, it will be paid for. And if it must be free, it will be free. Those things will unify and the equilibrium will kind of find itself there. Um, and I think some people will win and others will get over leveraged and over invested in things that they can't control and ultimately get boxed out. I, I suggest we cut there, delete everything up to this point. <laughs> not not to not to be all pessimistic about this but Yay, I'm going to be all pessimistic not just about me this. <laughs> <laughs> i i think i think there's there's your kind of libertarian argument and capitalistic argument about all of this you know working its way out and let the market decide forgets leaves aside one one major important component mm -hmm. and that's monopolistic practices sure. the market cannot decide the market cannot innovate in an environment where you have these gigantic organizations who today mm -hmm. control a certain amount of the interactions tomorrow it with this kind of the death of the website control everything about your brand and make decisions that you are at their whim um, when they make these decisions. And I'll remind right? you that we've gone down the platform rabbit hole here. This is only right. one vector of a much bigger ecosystem. We started talking about headless CMSs and abstracted, which you clarified, but separated layers and centralized content that you as the content owner and author can choose where it goes and distribute it to various endpoints. Then we started talking about platforms and now we're down. And I agree within that vertical, there are a lot of monopolistic practices that are going on and there's several antitrust lawsuits of that flavor that are active right now. So I think that's something that's a very fair statement. But there there are other elements to this um, that are still going to apply and brands will still have the ability to, you know, control their own destiny and control their own endpoints if they choose to set, st step aside from those. Like what? Like... Go ahead. Go, go ahead, Jenna. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so, okay. Look, here's the, the cool thing about getting old school is that getting old school is actually going to help uh, in the future in one very specific way. So, SEO, right? Thinking about SEO... One of the modern day SEO optimizations that we do is to use schema markup, structured data, right? And the reason we do that is because that is a data type that feeds directly to the engines, tells them exactly what they're looking at, and it's nothing more than little bytes of code. It's a few strings of words that's formatted in a very specific way. So let's say... Google and Facebook, go get all googly and Facebooky. That's cool. But if the websiteless future really does come to pass, there will be other places for this data to go. And my postulation is that the way that data goes places is through things like structured data. It's simply 
my my future casting here tells me that you're simply going to have a series of zeros and ones at some point. And those zeros and ones are going to go to all the places that can accept them. And so it's going to be less a visual hands-on right. keyboard experience and more big giant streams of data flying to a bunch of different places. So True. Like look at menu. If you're a restaurant and you want to publish your menu data, you can do that. And there's all sorts of niche players in that vertical that will consume it and make it available through their endpoint to your benefit, some of whom will do it for free, some of whom will charge you for that. Look at the uh, OTA space and travel mm-hmm. agencies and the meta meta crawler uh, layer of the OTA uh, world. Yep. That's exactly how that works. Some will charge you for a premium placement, some will do it because it adds value to their platform and their user base. So if you set yourself up and you make your content available, there's a variety of ways in which that can become beneficial to you. Yeah. Right. So, so you mentioned make your content available. What are the implications to things like content and media and, and ultimately the measurement of all of this? Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> implications are myriad, I think, there. Content. Content right now, I think we still think of content largely as words, pictures on a page, Right. You still engage with those things through a website, through a social media platform, through an app, etc. Now, we're not saying that those things will go away, but in the future, does content become more like augmented reality experiences? Does content become more like things you don't necessarily read, per se, but you experience? Yeah, probably. Um, I, what's the What's the cute... Pixar movie with the robot and all the humans are on the ship and they Wally. yeah Wally <laughs> that's pretty much what I think is coming <laughs> so just go watch that that's pretty much what I think man with, I already feel like one of those guys on that yeah. with COVID sitting down here pretty I mean, much that's yeah. that's what lockdown that's what lockdown, that's what lockdown will, will do yeah um, could, so I, I I if I may I think. One of the one of the considerations, and I, I go back to one of the previous um, episodes around omnichannel and these ideas around seamless experiences. Um, in another uh, previous episode, Jenna, you also talked about the fact that you're interacting with brands and discovering brands inside your Instagram uh-huh. feed, never visiting a website, yep. never having seen anything from them, and you know, um, buying yeah. products from them, uh, albeit with hilarious consequences. <laughs> Sometimes, not but, always. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but I think that's that's a really good precursor, and it really highlights the need to start planning right. out and truly connecting these seamless experiences. Because as you move from interacting with a brand in Instagram into maybe seeing a piece of advertising of theirs on Twitter or um, finding them through search, you want to make sure that that experience is really personalized and targeted to that uh-huh. individual or to that subset, as it were, right? And have the context of their previous interactions with the brand. So I think, I think from a content perspective, being able to plan that out, from a media perspective, being able to amplify appropriately in, mm-hmm. in those different points in the customer journey. But then where this really begs is on the measurement side and from a data and analytics perspective, to be able to join up those experiences, especially with all of the new changes in privacy that are coming out dan pick up how on earth is that going to be possible well it's going to make a 
it makes a complicated space, you know, a little more complicated. Um, you know, when you think about the changes happening in the Google Analytics landscape uh, and other enterprise analytics platforms, Adobe and so on, um, this whole idea of, you know, the way in-app analytics is done through API calls, you know, just like content is called up through web services and APIs, so too can analytics and tracking and measurement be be executed through similar mechanisms. And I think uh, as, you know, this distribution of content through different platforms, um, some of which offer great seamless interaction or integration rather with your analytics and tracking tools, others are walled gardens and offer you very little. We find in our work, uh, we're doing a project right now, actually, we're trying to do integrated business intelligence work and, and collecting data from a whole range of sources for a large brand. Uh, and some of those sources, easy, easy joins, easy connection. Uh, we can we can link things back and create those attributions. Others, we get really weak attributed, uh, pre-aggregated data. Uh, and the sources that those come from, you'd be surprised to hear who they are. They're, these are big, big firms, big brands that you've heard of that do not want to play uh, play ball in terms of granular transparency. So it does certainly offer up um, some complexities. You have to remember we're already operating in a fairly um, distributed environment here, right? Right now in any tracking or analytics or omni-channel world or uh, uh, integrated analytics exercise, the website is just a single vector in a very complicated system. Um, fortunately, most of the conversion points and the ultimate goal happens on that website. So we've kind of got this open funnel where we track all the traffic inbound and then we have this central source where all of the outcomes occur and the behaviors that we care about happen. It does add a little bit of complexity where those behaviors and completions might all happen external to something that you own. Um, and it definitely makes it more complicated. But um, yeah, uh, some of that is going to be uh, like I said, handled through, uh, you know, service-driven or API-driven analytics calls. And some of it, we're going to have to just let these third parties tell us what's happening and trust that that's, uh, trust that that's truthful. And that is a challenge. Maybe this, <clears throat> maybe this does actually set us backwards in time. Um, it's possible from a, from a tracking perspective, right? So mm -hmm. in, the, in the nascent days of digital, we thought we were some kind of wizards, but honestly, we were targeting like context, right? Oh, you're on a, mm -hmm. you're on a site about sports. Let me show you this ad about basketball shoes, <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't that intense. Um, and I don't think we're going to lose all ability to measure this, but I do think we're going to have to get a little bit more comfortable again with some level of ambiguity. You know, mass yeah. media worked for hundreds of years newspapers, TVs, et cetera, before they had a cookie and before they had websites. Um, mm -hmm. And so it is It is a, a consideration to think about. I, I honestly don't know how much data fidelity loss there's going to be. There is absolutely going to be some, though, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, Jen, so Jenna, should, should brands be investing in websites in 2021? Yeah. yeah. This thing, yeah, yeah this why? thing, look, so <laughs> this thing... I found articles when I was just kind of doing a little background research to think about this a little bit. I like to go read other people and see what they think about it. 
I found articles about this from like 2015, right? I mean, <laughs> so mm-hmm. is it going to happen? Yeah, for sure. Is it going to happen next year? Nope. No way, right? The the Yes, the pace of change keeps accelerating, etc. And we know this from things like Tim Urban's great blog, etc. But people are tied to their ways of doing things. There's a lot of infrastructure to rip out and replace, right? Mm-hmm. This Even a Google can't dictate to the entire world, well, you can't use a website anymore because brands and people aren't ready with the alternative yet. So I think I think it's going to take us a few, at least, maybe even several more years. Yeah, and I'm not and, uh, I'm not sure. Sorry, just to build on that, I don't think it's going up to a point. You know, like we're talking about this third party cookie uh, retraction from systems, and then there'll be a moment in time where okay, it's like bam, not supported, right? The way the internet works fundamentally, and the way HTTP works, and the way websites work. They're not, there's no, I don't think that moment in time is ever going to occur where it's like, okay, yeah, you can't go www.something anymore. That's, that's done. We're never going to, that's not going to happen because there's underlying protocols. The way everything comes together is sort of rooted in that. I think what we're going to see is a, maybe a significant shift in what the reason for those Uh is or are, uh, and, and what kind of functions they support in this broader decentralized ecosystem. Right. So when I hear death of the website, to me, that's kind of death of the website kind of as we know it today is probably more realistic. And and I think one consideration as well beyond, you know, because you can see if you can have commerce in platforms like Amazon and, and Instagram and customer service and Facebook and Twitter Um, You can kind of look at the website and say, why do I need this today? What's it actually adding today? But I think there's a really important component, and that is, ironically, SEO. Uh Um, You still need a website and and the various parts of it, including local content and all of these kinds of things, to tell the search engines that you are truly the authority in this subject and in this space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Okay, so let's say we get to this point where you're just streaming your data from everywhere. There's still going to be some arbiter at the endpoints that says, oh, this source is position one or whatever it's going to be, right? This source has the most authority, etc. So, yeah, today, SEO, people think SEO, remember that whole thing, SEO is dead? Oh, my God, that made me so mad. (laughs) SEO is not now, nor has it ever been dead. (laughs) But it has changed dramatically, right? Yeah, do we still look at technical stuff and fix it if it's broken? Yeah, of course we do. But we're looking at user experience. We're looking at the structured data. We're looking at how it would play in voice search. We're looking at is the content formatted in such a way for it to be distributed to these different sorts of places if it needed to be, etc. So yeah, you still need to be doing all of the things <laughs> from an SEO perspective. So anyone listening mm-hmm. that has given up on your SEO, give us a call because you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. C- Sorry, I wanted to add, and this is a bit of a departure from the thread you were just on, but I had a note here and I don't want to miss it because I think it's a relevant point is that and I'm reflecting on our last episode with Jay and we talked about, you know, the importance of reviews and this whole third party objectivity sort of 
thing that's that's happened where you know nobody wants to buy anything or commit to anything or do anything unless some stranger told them that it was a great idea. <laughs> Web, web websites are inherently first party and they lack objectivity. So when we think about one of the reasons that you know distributed platforms or third party tools or this sort of external influence is having above and beyond a, a website, I think that third party objectivity is driving a lot of that and that will only continue to grow, right? Our philosophical moment brought to you by Rene Descartes today, apparently. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, Dan. Uh, putting my philosophy minor to use there, Nasser, on a good reference. <laughs> so what, what should organizations do right now to prep? Dan? Uh, um, well, I mean, they shouldn't just... They, they shouldn't just make a hard left from whatever they were already doing. Um, you know, a, a, a sound integrated digital strategy that understands the reality of their particular customer base and where they choose to interact and what's yielding great ROI and what channels are assisting what channel. All of that stuff is still relevant and will be a year from now and f five years from now, I'm sure. Um I think if you're contemplating replatforming your website and you're thinking about the next step there or you're frustrated with your five-year-old WordPress installation and the way it's been hacked to death by three or four different IT groups that have come and gone, then you might want to zoom out and think about a more distributed concept. You know, we don't represent or directly affiliate with any CMS vendor or headless provider, but I can tell you that there's a ton of excellent ones out there. Um, and the incremental effort required to set up uh, a platform that is going to give you something that you can grow into as these evolutions continue to occur, uh, it's going to be a very, uh, I think it's a fairly uh, modest amount of extra effort. Uh, if you're going to do that now, so that's that's where I would be focusing. And we've again, we talk to our clients about this stuff all the time. Uh, and often, you know, we might wind up, oh, we'll just throw up a, a small CMS because we've got to solve this one problem right now, and that's fine. But again, if you're looking at that big job, um, it would behoove you to think about this with a 10 year horizon in mind and make your decisions accordingly. Jenna, Look, I mean, doing the good thing still applies, right? Everything we've ever told people to do in every podcast episode to date still applies. Get your data in order. Understand your customers. Start making seamless experiences for your customers based on what they need, where they might find that information from you, right? We've already been talking about this. They might not come to your website to get your information. That's omnichannel at its finest. Keep doing the good thing and you'll be well positioned for whatever comes next. Plus also do your SEO. So, Dan, you mentioned uh, frustrates. So I think it's time for the frustrates, although you've been surprisingly upbeat today. Oh, yeah. Is there anything about this that frustrates you? Only your introduction to the segment, Nasser. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, And that my man? very dear friend, Jenna, has uh, COVID-19. Yeah, that frustrates, frustrates me, well, you guys. I can't lie. Because she doesn't look, she doesn't look well. Wow, thanks. Hey, um, appreciate it. I want her to, well, obviously. <laughs> Guys, for the record, I'm not in the room with these two. We're looking at each other on a video screen. I'm not breathing my <laughs> breathing my germs on them. Yes, our listener will be very. Yeah, he, he, um, he will. He will. <laughs> no, I. Uh, 
No, this is not a frustrating topic. This is exciting and innovative and um, there's really cool things, you know, going on. And I, every time I, you know, I, I can't, you know, I use a gas station analogy. I can't fill up my car with gas and look at the screen and look at the, the message they're giving me without immediately wondering, well, I wonder where they store that in their ecosystem. And is that the same line that's on their website? And does their Twitter align with, like, I'm thinking about that stuff all the time now. Um, and when this, these things were just like novel ideas at an Adobe conference seven or eight years ago, and now it's just like a mainstream thing. And we're talking about, yeah, well, of course, we just have a distributed content repository and we fire that off into every direction all at once. It just seems like, yeah, well, that, of course, that's how you do internet uh, <laughs> today and tomorrow. Um, I think it's super cool. And uh, I'm excited to see, you know, how brands that take this stuff seriously can really leverage the opportunity presented by this entire ecosystem we've just discussed, the good, the evil uh, overlords, and all the stuff in between. I think uh, it's going to be very interesting. And with that, thank you for listening to Inside the Funnel with Dan Tamby, Jenna Watson, our special guest, COVID-19, <laughs> and myself, Nasser Salol. See you next Thanks, time. Guys. See you later. You've been listening to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Tamby, and Nasser Salul. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and connect with DAC wherever you see us online.